Section 13 of Volume 1E of History of England from the Invasion of Julius Caesar to the Revolution of 1688. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Theodulf. History of England from the Invasion of Julius Caesar to the Revolution of 1688 by David Hume, Volume 1E, Section 13, Chapter 53, Part 1. Chapter 53. Charles I. The grievances under which the English labored when considered in themselves, without regard to the Constitution, scarcely deserve the name nor were they either burdensome on the people's properties or anywise shocking to the natural humanity of mankind even the imposition of ship money independent of the consequences was a great and evident advantage to the public by the judicious use which the king made of the money levied by that expedient and though it was justly apprehended that such precedents if patiently submitted to would end in a total disuse of parliaments and in the establishment of arbitrary authority charles dreaded no opposition from the people who are not commonly much affected with consequences and require some striking motive to engage them in a resistance of established government all ecclesiastical affairs were settled by law and uninterrupted precedent and the church was become a considerable barrier to the power both legal and illegal, of the crown. Peace, too, industry, commerce, opulence, nay, even justice and lenity of administration, notwithstanding some very few exceptions, all these were enjoyed by the people. And every other blessing of government, except liberty, or rather the present exercise of liberty and its proper security. It seemed probable, therefore, that affairs might long have continued on the same footing in england had it not been for the neighbourhood of scotland a country more turbulent and less disposed to submission and obedience it was thence the commotions first arose and is therefore time for us to return thither and to give an account of the state of affairs in that kingdom though the pacific and not unskilful government of james and the great authority which he had acquired had much allayed the feuds among the great families and had established law and order throughout the kingdom the scottish nobility were still possessed of the chief power and influence over the people their property was extensive their hereditary jurisdictions and the feudal tenures increased their authority and the attachment of the gentry to the heads of families established a kind of voluntary servitude under the chieftains besides that long absence had much loosened the king's connections with the nobility who resided chiefly at their country seats they were in general at this time though from slight causes much disgusted with the court charles from the natural piety or superstition of his temper was extremely attached to the ecclesiastics and as it is natural for men to persuade themselves that their interest coincides with their inclination he had established it as a fixed maxim of policy to increase the power and authority of that order the prelates he thought established regularity and discipline among the clergy 
the clergy inculcated obedience and loyalty among the people and as that rank of men had no separate authority and no dependence but on the crown the royal power it would seem might with the greater safety be entrusted in their hands many of the prelates therefore were raised to the chief dignities of the state spotswood archbishop of st andrews was created chancellor nine of the bishops were privy councillors the bishop of ross aspired to the office of treasurer some of the prelates possessed places in the exchequer and it was even endeavored to revive the first institution of the college of justice and to share equally between the clergy and laity the whole judicial authority these advantages possessed by the church and which the bishops did not always enjoy with suitable modesty disgusted the haughty nobility who deeming themselves much superior in rank and quality to this new order of men were displeased to find themselves inferior in power and influence interest joined itself to ambition and begat a jealousy lest the episcopal sees which at the reformation had been pillaged by the nobles should again be enriched at the expense of that order by a most useful and beneficial law the impropriations had already been ravished from the great men competent salaries had been assigned to the impoverished clergy from the tithes of each parish and what remained the proprietor of the land was empowered to purchase at a low valuation the king likewise warranted by ancient law and practice had declared for a general resumption of all crown lands alienated by his predecessors and though he took no step towards the execution of this project the very pretension to such power had excited jealousy and discontent notwithstanding the tender regard which charles bore to the whole church he had been able in scotland to acquire only the affection of the superior rank among the clergy the ministers in general equalled if not exceeded the nobility in their prejudices against the court against the prelates and against episcopal authority though the establishment of the hierarchy might seem advantageous to the inferior clergy both as it erected dignities to which all of them might aspire and as it bestowed a lustre on the whole body and allured men of family into it these views had no influence on the scottish ecclesiastics in the present disposition of men's minds there was another circumstance which drew consideration and counterbalanced power and riches the usual foundations of distinction among men and that was the fervor of piety and the rhetoric however barbarous of religious lectures and discourses checked by the prelates in the license of preaching the clergy regarded episcopal jurisdiction both as a tyranny and a usurpation and maintained a parity among ecclesiastics to be a divine privilege which no human law could alter or infringe while such ideas prevailed the most moderate exercise of authority would have given disgust much more that extensive power which the king's indulgence encouraged the prelates to assume the jurisdiction of presbyteries synods and other democratical courts was in a manner abolished by the bishops and the general assembly itself had not been summoned for several years a new oath was arbitrarily imposed on entrants by which they swore to observe the articles of perth and submit to the liturgy and canons and in a word 
the whole system of church government during a course of thirty years had been changed by means of the innovations introduced by james and charles the people under the influence of the nobility and clergy could not fail to partake of the discontents which prevailed among these two orders and where real grounds of complaint were wanting they greedily laid hold of imaginary ones the same horror against popery with which the english puritans were possessed was observable among the populace in scotland and among these as being more uncultivated and uncivilized seemed rather to be inflamed into a higher degree of ferocity the genius of religion which prevailed in the court and among the prelates was of an opposite nature and having some affinity to the romish worship led them to mollify as much as possible these severe prejudices and to speak of the catholics in more charitable language and with more reconciling expressions from this foundation a panic fear of popery was easily raised and every new ceremony or ornament introduced into divine service was part of that great mystery of iniquity which from the encouragement of the king and the bishops was to overspread the nation the few innovations which james had made were considered as preparatives to this grand design and the further alterations attempted by charles were represented as a plain declaration of his intentions through the whole course of this reign nothing had more fatal influence in both kingdoms than this groundless apprehension which with so much industry was propagated and with so much credulity was embraced by all ranks of men amidst these dangerous complaints and terrors of religious innovation the civil and ecclesiastical liberties of the nation were imagined and with some reason not to be altogether free from invasion the establishment of the high commission by james without any authority of law seemed a considerable encroachment of the crown and erected the most dangerous and arbitrary of all courts by a method equally dangerous and arbitrary all the steps towards the settlement of episcopacy had indeed been taken with consent of parliament the articles of perth were confirmed in sixteen twenty one in sixteen thirty three the king had obtained a general ratification of every ecclesiastical establishment but these laws had less authority with the nation as they were known to have passed contrary to the sentiments even of those who voted for them and were in reality extorted by the authority and importunity of the sovereign the means however which both james and charles had employed in order to influence the parliament were entirely regular and no reasonable pretence had been afforded for representing these laws as null or invalid but there prevailed among the greater part of the nation another principle of the most important and most dangerous nature and which if admitted destroyed entirely the validity of all such statutes the ecclesiastical authority was supposed totally independent of the civil and no act of parliament nothing but the consent of the church itself was represented as sufficient ground for the introduction of any change in religious worship or discipline and though james had obtained the vote of assemblies for receiving episcopacy and his new rights 
it must be confessed that such irregularities had prevailed in constituting these ecclesiastical courts and such violence in conducting them that there were some grounds for denying the authority of all their acts charles sensible that an extorted consent attended with such invidious circumstances would rather be prejudicial to his measures had wholly laid aside the use of assemblies and was resolved in conjunction with the bishops to govern the church by an authority to which he thought himself fully entitled and which he believed inherent in the crown the king's great aim was to complete the work so happily begun by his father to establish discipline upon a regular system of canons to introduce a liturgy into public worship and to render the ecclesiastical government of all his kingdoms regular and uniform some views of policy might move him to this undertaking but his chief motives were derived from principles of zeal and conscience the canons for establishing ecclesiastical jurisdiction were promulgated in sixteen thirty five and were received by the nation though without much appearing opposition yet with great inward apprehension and discontent men felt displeasure at seeing the royal authority highly exalted by them and represented as absolute and uncontrollable they saw these speculative principles reduced to practice and a whole body of ecclesiastical laws established without any previous consent either of church or state they dreaded lest by a parity of reason like arbitrary authority from like pretenses and principles would be assumed in civil matters they regarded that the delicate boundaries which separate church and state were already passed and many civil ordinances established by the canons under color of ecclesiastical institutions and they were apt to deride the negligence with which these important edicts had been compiled when they found that the new liturgy or service book was everywhere under severe penalties enjoined by them though it had not yet been composed or published it was however soon expected and in the reception of it as the people are always most affected by what is external and exposed to the senses it was apprehended that the chief difficulty would consist the liturgy which the king from his own authority imposed on scotland was copied from that of england but lest a servile imitation might shock the pride of his ancient kingdom a few alterations in order to save appearances were made in it and in that shape it was transmitted to the bishops at edinburgh but the scots had universally entertained a notion that though riches and worldly glory had been shared out to them with a sparing hand they could boast of spiritual treasures more abundant and more genuine than were enjoyed by any nation under heaven even their southern neighbors they thought though separated from rome still retained a great tincture of the primitive pollution and their liturgy was represented as a species of mass though with some less show and embroidery great prejudices therefore were entertained against it even considered in itself much more when regarded as a preparative which was soon to introduce into scotland all the abominations of popery and as the very few alterations which distinguished the new liturgy from the english seemed to approach nearer to the doctrine of the real presence 
this circumstance was deemed an undoubted confirmation of every suspicion with which the people were possessed easter day was by proclamation appointed for the first reading of the service in edinburgh but in order to judge more surely of men's dispositions the council delayed the matter till the twenty third of july and they even gave notice the sunday before of their intention to commence the use of the new liturgy as no considerable symptoms of discontent appeared they thought that they might safely proceed in their purpose and accordingly in the cathedral church of st giles the dean of edinburgh arrayed in his surplice began the service the bishop himself and many of the privy council being present but no sooner had the dean opened the book than a multitude of the meanest sort most of them women clapping their hands cursing and crying out a pope a pope antichrist stone him raised such a tumult that it was impossible to proceed with the service the bishop mounting the pulpit in order to appease the populace had a stool thrown at him the council was insulted and it was with difficulty that the magistrates were able partly by authority partly by force to expel the rabble and to shut the doors against them the tumult however still continued without stones were thrown at the doors and windows and when the service was ended the bishop going home was attacked and narrowly escaped from the hands of the enraged multitude in the afternoon the privy seal because he carried the bishop in his coach was so pelted with stones and hooted at with execrations and pressed upon by the eager populace that if his servants with drawn swords had not kept them off the bishop's life had been exposed to the utmost danger though it was violently suspected that the low populace who alone appeared had been instigated by some of higher condition yet no proof of it could be produced and every one spake with disapprobation of the licentiousness of the giddy multitude it was not thought safe however to hazard a new insult by any new attempt to read the liturgy and the people seemed for the time to be appeased and satisfied but it being known that the king still persevered in his intentions of imposing that mode of worship men fortified themselves still further in their prejudices against it and great multitudes resorted to edinburgh in order to oppose the introduction of so hated a novelty it was not long before they broke out in the most violent disorder the bishop of galloway was attacked in the streets and chased into the chamber where the privy council was sitting the council itself was besieged and violently attacked the town council met with the same fate and nothing could have saved the lives of all of them but their application to some popular lords who protected them and dispersed the multitude in this sedition the actors were of some better condition than in the former though nobody of rank seemed as yet to countenance them all men however began to unite and to encourage each other in opposition to the religious innovations introduced into the kingdom petitions to the council were signed and presented by persons of the highest quality the women took part and as was usual with violence the clergy everywhere loudly declaimed against popery and the liturgy which they represented as the same 
the pulpits resounded with vehement invectives against antichrist and the populace who first opposed the service was often compared to balaam's ass an animal in itself stupid and senseless but whose mouth had been opened by the lord to the admiration of the whole world in short fanaticism mingling with faction private interest with the spirit of liberty symptoms appeared on all hands of the most dangerous insurrection and disorder the primate a man of wisdom and prudence who was all along averse to the introduction of the liturgy represented to the king the state of the nation the earl of traquair the treasurer set out for london in order to lay the matter more fully before him every circumstance whether the condition of england or of scotland were considered should have engaged him to desist from so hazardous an attempt yet was charles inflexible in his whole conduct of this affair there appear no marks of the good sense with which he was endowed a lively instance of that species of character so frequently to be met with where there are found parts and judgment in every discourse and opinion in many actions indiscretion and imprudence men's views of things are the result of their understanding alone their conduct is regulated by their understanding their temper and their passions to so violent a combination of a whole kingdom charles had nothing to oppose but a proclamation in which he pardoned all past offences and exhorted the people to be more obedient for the future and to submit peaceably to the use of the liturgy this proclamation was instantly encountered with a public protestation presented by the earl of hume and lindsay and this was the first time that men of quality had appeared in any violent act of opposition but this proved a crisis the insurrection which had been advancing by a gradual and slow progress now blazed up at once no disorder however attended it on the contrary a new order immediately took place for tables as they were called were formed in edinburgh one consisted of nobility another of gentry a third of ministers a fourth of burgesses the table of gentry was divided into many subordinate tables according to their different counties in the hands of the four tables the whole authority of the kingdom was placed orders were issued by them and everywhere obeyed with the utmost regularity and among the first acts of their government was the production of the covenant this famous covenant consisted first of a renunciation of popery formerly signed by james in his youth and composed of many invectives fitted to inflame the minds of men against their fellow-creatures whom heaven has enjoined them to cherish and to love there followed a bond of union by which the subscribers obliged themselves to resist religious innovations and to defend each other against all opposition whatsoever and all this for the greater glory of god and the greater honor and advantage of their king and country the people without distinction of rank or condition of age or sex flocked to the subscription of this covenant few in their judgment disapproved of it and still fewer durst openly condemn it the king's ministers and counsellors themselves were most of them seized by the general contagion and none but rebels to god and traitors to their country it was thought would withdraw themselves from so salutary 
and so pious a combination. End of section 13, chapter 53, part 1. Recording by Theodolf, Chicago.